The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma and the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray together. Father, we ask once again today that as we open up your word, God, that you would speak to us, that you'd give us insight and understanding to really comprehend what is your heart, your will, and your way for each one of our lives. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, um, that you're so interested in every aspect of our lives, and we just give you this time today now in Jesus' name, amen. What is a proverb? You know, we have our modern day Proverbs today, sayings that, you know, are, go along these ideas that a modern day proverb is a short saying that is easy to remember that offers some kind of practical truth. For instance, this is a modern day proverb, look before you leap, right? Or this one, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Actions speak louder than words, and two wrongs don't make a right. These are all modern-day proverbs, short little sayings that offer us some practical truth. But what is a biblical proverb? The Hebrew word proverb is related to a verb that means to represent or to be like. And so biblical proverbs give us insight into the mind and the heart of of God. That's the purpose of it. The book of Proverbs has been given to us to give us insight into the mind and the heart of God. What is the theme of the book of Proverbs? It's summed up in this one word, wisdom. In Proverbs, the word wise and wisdom are used at least 125 times because the aim of the book is to help us acquire and apply God's wisdom to the decisions and activities of our daily lives. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15, Paul the apostle said this, that it's God's desire for his children that they would walk circumspectly. The idea there is carefully, not as fools, but as wise. And the book of Proverbs has been given to us to help us do just that. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5, we are instructed to get wisdom and to get insight, to pursue it, to long for it, to get it. And in Hebrews chapter 3, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gets understanding. Now, what's interesting in the book of Proverbs, there's a contrast that is given to us between the life of wisdom and the life of folly. And both of these two lives and these two ways are, are personified in two women that we might call Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom. Now, Lady Folly is seen as a seductress. 
And she's calling out to lost people. She's calling out to those who are on the way and offering immediate satisfaction, but ultimate doom. Let me read to you from Proverbs chapter 9. This is in uh, the New Living Translation. It says, The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling out to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. So she's lurking, she's trolling, she's seeking to call out to those who are on the way. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But then it says this, but he does not know that the dead are there and that the guests of her table are in the depths of Sheol, the depths of hell. Now, this is an interesting description. It says that Lady Folly, she's loud. She's a seductress. This is the picture it's painting. She's a seductress and she's sitting on the wall and she's calling out, come and dine with me. And it's interesting, it says that she targets those who are on the straight path. Those who are seeking to walk in the straight way. She's targeting them, wanting to deceive them, wanting to pull them in. Now, now some people, she doesn't have to target at all because they just run to her. Some of you, you've been that way. That was your life, that you just ran to, to Lady Faldi. But she targets those that are seeking to, to walk on the straight path. Verse 13 says that she is a seductress, but she knows nothing. In other words, she's all looks and no substance. Kind of like cotton candy, you know, all looks, but no substance or, or, or kind of like the Kardashians, all looks, but, but no substance, right? I mean, that's lady folly. She's seductive because sin is seductive. You know, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. And I love to ask this question. How many of you have experienced, show your hands, how many of you have, have experienced pleasure in sinning in your life? Some of you are going, can I really admit that in church? Yeah, you can. <laughs> the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end of it brings death. That's Lady Folly. Lady Folly is seductive, but this woman offers promises that that she can never, that her table can never ever deliver. So the world offers promises that it can't deliver. Money can't satisfy us. We think if I can just get a little bit more, Rockefeller was asked, how many millions does it take to satisfy a man? And he says, one more, just one more million. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to think that, you know, if I just can find the right person to be you know my husband or to be my wife that that's gonna this person's going to complete me and we 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 think that you know that that's that's folly speaking because no one can complete you but jesus and and a marriage is wonderful my wife and i today we're celebrating our 35th year of being married together I'm so thankful for that woman. She's been putting up with me for 35 years, but I love her to death. But, but you know, as wonderful as marriage is, 
Those of you who are married, you know that it's not the end all. It doesn't complete you. And sometimes we do a great disservice to those in the body of Christ who are single because we want to, you know, we who are married because we, we enjoy it so much, we want everyone to experience it. But you know what? There were some amazing people in the Bible who were single that God used in some incredible ways. And so for those of you who are single, it, it can be a fallacy for you to think, if I can just find that person, then I'm going to be complete. No, the only one that can complete you is Jesus. But that's Lady Folly. She you know, wants to bring us down these paths where we think things like that, that sex produces love. In reality, that, that's not true. That's Lady Folly. But Lady Folly yells out on a daily basis, come and eat at my table. But Lady Folly really doesn't want you to come and dine with her. She wants to dine on you. She wants to devour you, in other words. She calls out to those passing by, I have what is sweet and what is pleasant. But verse 18 says, but, but the guy doesn't know the dead are there. It's like you come in to sit at the table and the table has a, a tablecloth over it that hangs down to the floor, floor and there's corpses underneath. That's the picture. It's like one of those weird horror movies where there's just dead people falling out of closets. You know, that's Lady Folly. Jesus said that Satan is a thief and a robber who comes to kill and to rob and destroy. That's the mindset of Lady Folly. She wants to devour you. She wants to take from you. She is not your friend. But then we have Lady Wisdom. And I think we understand why folly is personified as a woman, because she's a seductress. She's evil. But why would wisdom also be personified as a woman? That kind of seems maybe odd to us. You know, there's a lady scientist who was working at this place where they worked on brains and they would, you know, buy brains when, when people who had, had died. And, and they, she found that they were paying for a female brain, $2,000, but for a male brain, $5,000. And she thought, you know, what is the deal with that? Why, why is the, the male brain so much more expensive? And they told her, because the male brain is hardly used. <laughs> It's like brand new, you know? <laughs> well, that's not why wisdom is called lady wisdom, because women's brains are more, you know, they're more wise than men. That was a joke. There is no place buying brains. So <laughs> just, just in case you were wondering, I'm going to Google that. No, there is no place. But in reality, it's, it's really more so the idea, lady wisdom She's kind of like the mom that wants to take care of you or the grandma, you know, that is just just wants to bless you. That's that's the idea. That's why wisdom is personified in this way as well. You know, I was in Florida on Friday and Saturday speaking at a men's conference there. And um, on Friday, we went to lunch at the home of Mike Ochsner. He's the assistant pastor in Calvary Chapel in Vero. But he, for years, worked for Billabong and... and, uh, 
Hurley, he was a CEO for them. So he has this multi-million dollar house right on the water, beautiful house. And his wife, Sandy, reminds me of my mom, who also is named Sandy. We go to the house and she's just got a spread of more food than you can eat, you know? And she's like, okay, Rob, what do you want? And, you know, just wants to take care of me. You know, she's going to make my plate for me. I'm like, hey, I can do it myself. Everyone else is making their plate, but she's like, you know, what do you want in your plate? And I'm like, I can handle it, you know, I can do it. But it's that, that heart. She bakes these amazing cookies, made this incredible cheesecake, and it's just that, that heart. That's, that, that's the mom, that's the grandma, that's, that's lady wisdom of just, I want to give to you, I want to bless you, is the idea. In fact, turn to chapter 8, and let's look at how lady wisdom is described here for us. We'll read through kind of a chunk of verses beginning in verse 1. Does not wisdom cry out, and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill, beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city and at the entrance of the doors, to you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O simple ones, understand prudence. And you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips, and all the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and write to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. I wisdom dwell with the prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles and judges of the earth. In other words, she puts people into power. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse, or I walk the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasures. Verse 22 is interesting. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I have been established from everlasting, from beginning and before there was ever and earth. So this is the heart of, of Lady Wisdom. Lady Folly wants to take from you. Lady Wisdom wants to give to you. She offers that which is of value. She offers life instead of death, insight and understanding. She offers counsel and strength. She offers value and authority. She offers, offers riches and honor and righteousness and justice. She offers an inheritance to us. Lady Folly wants to take from you. 
Lady folly wants to devour you and destroy you. And lady wisdom, she wants to bless you. Is there really a choice? And yet every single day, we see people all the time. You know them. You see them right now. Some people you know who are just running towards lady folly and thinking and hoping that she is somehow going to satisfy them. Now turn back to chapter 1. And notice here in chapter 1, our text lays out the purpose that God has for us in the book of Proverbs. And it's really summed up for us in three sentences. And it's these first three sentences laid out to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, and to give prudence to the simple. Let's begin with to know wisdom and instruction. What is meant by wisdom? Well, wisdom is more than just having brains. It's more than just being smart or intelligent. You know, we're living today in the information age, but we certainly aren't living in the age of wisdom. Many people are wizards on their computers, man. They can use that thing to do, you know, whatever they want to do, but they're amateurs when it comes to making a success of their lives because they aren't walking in wisdom. So it's helpful for us to remember the difference between wisdom and knowledge. You see, one may have knowledge without being wise, because knowledge is the collection of facts, but wisdom is the right use of those facts. It's the right use of that knowledge for our daily living. Knowledge can tell one how a financial system works, but it's wisdom that puts together a budget properly. And that's the difference. So wisdom is the right application of knowledge. And I want you to note that wisdom, it says here, comes through instruction. And the word that's used here for instruction literally means discipline or correction. It's the idea that we're learning from our mistakes so that we don't make those same mistakes over and over again. But I also want you to notice in verse 3 that instruction or correction has to be received in order for it to take in order for it to do what it's supposed to do. Think of it in this way as constructive criticism. And what's interesting about constructive criticism is you have to be willing to receive it, right? Somebody's trying to share with you, hey, you know, let me give you some constructive criticism. But if it's going to take, if it's going to work in your life, you got to be willing to receive it. But a lot of people, they're unwilling to receive constructive criticism because they're too prideful. They think, you know, you don't know better than I do. It's kind of like my grandson, Josiah. Now, he's three and a half, okay? But sometimes he'll be working on something, trying to do something, and I'll watch him, and he's struggling with it. And so I'll, I'll come and say, hey, hey, Josiah, let, let Poppy help you. Let me show you how to do that. And he's like, no, I want to do it myself. That's what he'll say. So I'm like, okay, go for it, pal. You know, And I'll watch him, and he's struggling, and he's wrestling. He's getting more frustrated, or sometimes he might even get a little bit hurt. I mean, I won't let him get really hurt, but you know, a little bit hurt. And then suddenly he gets so frustrated that then he's calling out, you know, Poppy, help me, help me, please. You know, and I'm coming along. Now, that's normal for a three-year-old. But a lot of people are doing that with God. No, I'll do it my way. Like good old Frank Sinatra, right? 
I'll do it my way. I can do it myself. And they don't want to listen to God or the people that God has put into their life to speak into their life. They won't receive constructive criticism because they're too prideful. And it's that pride and foolishness that ends up leading them down the wrong road. So the first purpose is to know wisdom and instruction. The second is to perceive the words of understanding. Now, understanding means the ability to grasp a truth with insight and discernment. Here's here's what I mean by that. It's, It's to not just know what this says, but to know why it says it and why it says it that way and what it is to be used for. That's understanding. So it's to give to perceive the words of understanding, to know, okay, what is this about? And why does it say that way? What's the purpose in this? And then the third purpose is given to us in verse four to, pers- to give prudence to the simple. Now that word prudence sounds kind of Victorian, right? It's not a word that we use a lot today. It sounds a little bit like Pride and Prejudice. I've, I've never seen that movie. Nothing blows up in it, so I wasn't really interested, you know, uh, in it. And don't don't hold that against me if you're a big Pride and Prejudice fan. But but prudence it sounds kind of Victorian in that way. But the word in English it literally it speaks of forethought, of practicality, of pragmatism. It's the kind of intelligence that sees the reason behind things. People with prudence can think their way through complex matters and see what is behind them so that they become problem solvers. That's kind of the idea behind this idea to give prudence to the simple. So this is God's heart. This is his purpose and why he's given us the book of Proverbs. I want to read to you the way the New Living Translation, it'll be on the screen, describes verses 2 through 6 and this purpose that God has given and why he's given us this book. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. So let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. That's God's heart for us. Let them listen and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables and the words of the wise and their riddles. So this is why the Lord has given us to this. But here's what I want you to catch. And here's something we're going to keep circling back around to as we go through this series through the summer is that true wisdom is found in the person of Jesus Christ. We're told in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, that speaking of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. True wisdom is found in Jesus. It's why Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 that all things that pertain to life and godliness, and that's what all of us are interested in. I want to know about life and I want to be godly. And Peter says all of those things are found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's found in who he is. It's found in knowing him. So true wisdom is connected to Jesus who is the wisdom of God. 
In fact, it was Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 11 writing 700 years before the birth of Christ said this about Jesus, writing of Jesus. He says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. In other words, a descendant from the line of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah, writing 700 years before the birth of Christ and describing Jesus, that he would be filled with the spirit of wisdom. We read there in chapter 8, in the last couple verses that we read about wisdom being there in the beginning when, when God was creating the world. And that just really lines up with what John, the apostle, spoke in the gospel of John about Jesus when he writes this in John chapter 1. Again, this should be on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and then he said this in verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth we put this all together and here's what this means the wise person is one who knows and believes that jesus is the creator of the universe, that he's the one, the Bible says, that spoke this world into existence, that Jesus is the one who is the sustainer of the universe, that he's holding it all together, that Jesus was God in human flesh. And so the invitation to come and receive wisdom is really an invitation to come and receive Jesus. It goes right along with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, we call this the great invitation, that Jesus said these words, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love this. All of you who are weary, heavy laden, burdened down. That's what life does to us, right? It weighs us down. It burdens us down. That's what sin does to us. It weighs us down. It burdens us down. We're carrying a heavy load. And Jesus calls out to us and he says, hey, come unto me. All of you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Learn of me, enter into relationship with me, and I'm going to bless you. Take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And that phrase, my yoke is easy, can literally be translated in this way, it's well-fitting. And this is what all of us who have come to faith in Christ have learned. We've come to discover is that walking with Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus, it fits right? We come to that place of recognizing this is why I exist. This is why God created me. God created me to live in a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what this is for. 
You know, it's been said that every human being has been made with a God-shaped hole in their heart. And we spent, and we spend, men spend so much time trying to shove other things into that void, into that hole that don't fit, that don't satisfy, that, that really only frustrates. It's like when my son was uh, younger, when he was a, a little kid. They had, we had one of those toys. I don't even know if they make these anymore. I think that in some ways they're kind of cruel little toys. But it was, a, it was a little ball that had all the little shapes cut out of it, you know, the triangles and the squares and, and all the little plastic pieces on the inside and you pull it apart and they fall and then you're trying to put the triangle and the triangle and the square and the square. And my son would sit there and, you know, he's like one or two or whatever it was and he's trying to, you know, shove the, the, the triangle into the circle and it's not working and he's trying to put the, the square into the the rectangle and it's not working and he gets so frustrated that he'd throw that thing across the room that's what we do we're trying to shove these things into our life and go, oh this is going to satisfy my and this person or this thing that's going to be the thing that satisfies and nothing satisfies and nothing fills the void because the only one who can fill that god-shaped hole is jesus And when we come into relationship with Jesus, we come to understand his yoke is easy. It's well-fitting. This is what I've been designed for. I've been made to live in relationship with him. I've been made to live, to know him. And so the invitation to wisdom is really the invitation to come and to follow Jesus. And one final thought before we go. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 gives us the entry point into wisdom. And next week, we're going to begin to take kind of a deep dive into the subject of the fear of the Lord. But notice what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the chief part, in other words, of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is amplified. This statement is amplified for us in Proverbs 9, verse 10, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So here's the question. What is meant by the fear of the Lord? Well, your definition of the fear of the Lord will really be, will hinge upon your relationship to Jesus Christ. You see, if you reject Jesus, if you're like my grandson and you're saying, no, I'll do it my way, I'm going to do it myself, if that's your mentality and you're rejecting Jesus, well, the fear of the Lord becomes a dreadful thing for you because it means that there's judgment waiting you, hell's waiting for you. That's what what gets people sent to hell is the rejection of Jesus. And so suddenly the fear of the Lord is an utter dread. What happens when I die? And the number one thing that people fear today is they fear death because there's an uncertainty and they're hoping that, I hope I do enough good things, but that's not what saves us. And so if you reject Jesus, if you're living in rebellion against God, the fear of the Lord, it means it's, it's a dread, it's a judgment, it's a, it's a fear. But if you have embraced Jesus, the fear of the Lord means something entirely different to us. Because you see, we realize that Jesus was already judged in our place. That Jesus went to the cross and he took the punishment and he took the wrath that we deserve because of our sin. 
So for the child of God, the fear of the Lord is not a dread that if I step out of line, God is going to whack me. Or if I'm not living in a way that measures up that I'm going to get in a car wreck today or I'm going to come out and find that my tires were slashed. Listen, that's the type of thing the Godfather does. Not the God who is your father, who loves you. The fear of the Lord for us is a reverence and a respect. It's an awe. It's being awestruck with the fact that he is God, and I know I am not. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, when you pray, say this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy, majestic, honorable is the idea, is your name. That's the fear of the Lord. It's having a right respect and awe for who God is. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say like, yeah, God's my homeboy. Um, you know, that, that's, the, that's not the fear of the Lord, all right? Or he's the big guy. I was talking to the big guy in the sky the other day. That's not the fear of the Lord. No, the fear of the Lord is the understanding that God is the creator of the universe, that he's sustainer of the universe, that the earth right now is traveling like 67,000 miles around the sun, miles per hour around the sun. It travels 1.2 million miles a day. And God, who spoke the world into existence, the Bible says he's holding all this together by the word of his mouth, that he is that awesome, that he's that incredible, that he's that majestic, that God could absolutely, if he wanted to, crush me, but instead he loves me. That God, who the angels in heaven are constantly, we read in the Bible, they're falling down before him in his presence right now because he is so holy and so majestic and so awesome that they fall down before him and it's just the normal, natural reaction of his glory that they're like just holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's the angels and the demons are scared to death of him. And it's that God, that majestic, that holy, that incredible, whatever you know, adjective we want to throw on that to just over, you know, magnify the magnificent of God. It's that God who has chosen to make himself known to you and I. It's that God who says, I love you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. And that should absolutely blow our minds. John said, John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, behold. And when he says this, it means look at this and be amazed. Be, be mindful. Behold, he says, what manner of love the Father has given to us that he would call us his children. And John's saying, this should blow our minds, that this God, holding everything together by his spoken word, holding the world in the span of his hand, that this God, so incredible, so majestic, so holy, so glorious, so powerful, has come to us and made himself known to us. So to walk in the fear of the Lord is to have an to be awestruck with that reality. To be blown away. He's that interested in me. That he loves me. That he's for me. 
It's coming to that place where we realize that all things don't revolve around me, but all things are to revolve around him. And my life is to revolve around him. And that's why the writer of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. It's where it starts. It's knowing who he is. It's being amazed by the fact that he's made a way for us to know him. And then it's walking in that reality. That that incredible sense of beauty and grace that he bestows to us becomes a thing that motivates me to live a life of surrender. It motivates me to live a life of service. That it's, it's like I cannot believe that God would want me and allow me to be a part of anything that he's doing. But because he does, man, I, I don't want to take that for granted. I, I want to go for it. That's walking in the fear of the Lord. You know, we live in this beautiful place here in North County, San Diego. And one of the things that is that we are so fortunate is we can go down to the beach about any day of the week and see a beautiful sunset, right? And how many times have, have you found yourself just being mesmerized by a beautiful sunset? But you know what often happens? We, we kind of take it for granted. And if this one today is a little bit, you know, not as spectacular as yesterday, we can kind of be like, ah, it's, it, it, it's all right. And we can do that same thing with God when we lose sight of the fact that God has made a way for us to know him. And God invites us to walk with him. And God gives us the privilege of being involved in his kingdom and what he's doing. And we would be absolutely stupid if I can use that word. We don't let our children say stupid, Pastor Rob. Well, hopefully they're not in here, all right? (laughs) Absolutely idiotic for us to say, oh, I I don't need him. Or I'm going to do this on my way. Absolutely stupid for us to not be surrendered when we capture the magnitude and how beautiful and wonderful it is that this God has said, I love you, I know you, and I want you to know me, and I want to be a part of your life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for how wonderful you are. That you, this great and awesome and majestic, incredible, holy, powerful, full of glory, you in whom is light and in him is no darkness at all, that you, God, have made yourself known to us. That when we get up in the morning, we pour ourselves a cup of coffee, and we open up our Bible, that you literally are right there in that room with us waiting to commune and spend time with us. Lord, it absolutely astounds us. And Lord, I pray for anybody here in this room that has not yet embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior who've been saying, no, I'm going to do it my way. Lord, I pray today as as they just consider the fact that you 
the God of all wonder and majesty, sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin so that we could know you and have our sins forgiven and our guilt removed and enter into relationship with you. God, I pray today that they would respond to your invitation to come. They're weighed down. They're they're pressured. They're being beaten up by sin in the world. God, I pray that they would respond today to the invitation. And I want to encourage you, if you're in that place today, it's real simple. Right where you're at in your heart, you can just cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. 